My name is Ed Ryan, content editor for the Podcast Business Journal. We're a publication about podcasting, so it really wouldn't make a lot of sense if we didn't also have our own podcast. Our goal with the Podcast Business Journal report is to interview successful podcasters. How did they launch? Why did they launch? How did they avoid pod feeding? How did they grow their audience and how are they making money? In the PBJ spotlight today is Steve Stewart. Steve has been podcasting since 2010. He's a podcast producer and the director of the FinCon Podcast Network. In our interview with Steve, he tells us how he got his start in podcasting and how he turned what he calls his side hustle of podcast editing into what is now making him a very nice living. Here's our interview with Steve Stewart. All right, Steve. So the first question is, how did you get into podcasting and why? Oh, boy. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> to the beginning. All right. Uh, I'll keep the very beginning very short. Uh, wife and I met. We lived out of state, moved together into St. Louis, got a new job that required me to travel quite a bit on the road. Started listening to the radio a lot because that's what you did back in early 2000s. But then I bumped into uh, a show by Dave Ramsey, started listening to him. Then he came out with his show as a podcast. I was like, what's a podcast? Then found out Leah Laporte was also doing podcasts. What's a podcast? Started consuming podcasts like crazy while I was driving. Uh, then I started a financial coaching business because I was sold out on what the Dave Ramsey plan was. I was like, I could do, I could teach people how to do the same thing. So I started a, a blog in 2007 for, you know, financial wellness, financial budgeting, saving, investing, stuff like that. I always knew that I needed to do something more than just blogging. So I started a podcast in 2010. Loved the medium, loved that you could compete with the big boys on the same playing field. You know what I mean? Podcasts is that that way that we all get to play together, whether you're big or small. Everybody has a voice. And so I always love that part of the medium. Right after I launched the podcast, a guy named Philip Taylor, he goes by the name PT Money, started a conference called FinCon. Actually, it was a financial blogger conference. It's now become known as FinCon, which is the FinCon Expo for people in money and media. So it's not just bloggers, it's podcasters and uh, YouTubers and anybody who's in the in the money space that does blogging, video, stuff like that. Started going to the conferences, got ingrained in that community, became known in that community as the blogger with the podcast. And in 2015, I heard that a couple of well-known bloggers were thinking about starting their own podcast. I'm like, well, I know how to do this. I know how to help people launch their podcasts. I've always been encouraging people to launch podcasts in the FinCon community. And so I reached out to one of them, and they did contact me later that year. They said, look, Steve, we just want to hit record. Will you do the rest? So I'm like, yeah, sure. This uh, day job, by the way, I left that same year in 2015. So I was focused fully on the financial coaching business, but it wasn't really going anywhere. For some reason, it just it just stayed stagnant. So I had the extra time. I had the knowledge, had the ability to edit podcasts and produce shows so when they asked me, I'm like, well, yeah, I could, I, I could absolutely help them, but I got to charge you. And they're like, absolutely, Steve, we'll pay you. We, tr we know you. We like you. We trust you. It's that no like trust factor. Once that show came out, they had a huge email list, so they sent out their email list, and it just exploded. And within this FinCon community, everybody knew what was going on. It was this huge you know, thing that these two well-known bloggers came out with the show. It got huge ratings. Everybody liked it, and – other people in the community are like, hey, wait, you can hire, outsource this editing stuff? I hate editing. And that's how I came into editing for others, which has now become my full-time career. 
and I absolutely love it. So back to the beginning when you were podcasting, tell us about how those first few podcasts that you did went. You know, uh, you, you have some knowledge, but you're still, it's still your first one. Things always go wrong, it seems, for people that I talk to about those first few. Talk about those so that new podcasters can say, okay, I'm not the only one this is happening to. Or maybe it didn't happen to you. Maybe it came out perfectly. No, it didn't come out perfectly. I will say that my introduction episode, I did episode one, was the introduction was about 10 minutes long, and I'm proud of it. it. It turned out to be what I wanted it to be. I also had been involved in a couple of online communities and people who may have mentioned it or shared it. So I think my first episode in the first week got 100 downloads, and I was this nobody, nowhere, you know, start out. So I, I take that as a win. However, I had this idea, and this is 2010, mind you. Uh, it's been almost eight years. Actually, just over eight years now at the time of this recording is when I launched that thing. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, I launched the thing with the idea that it wouldn't just be me. It would also be other financial coaches. And what I would do is take a existing client or somebody that may be in the future that would want to get some free financial coaching, take their scenario, pose it to another financial coach, and we would have that discussion, record that discussion, and share that discussion on my podcast. And I said I was going to do that every third episode. Well, again, it was 2010. A lot of people didn't even know what a podcast was. It was super hard getting any other financial coaches to want to do this with me. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. So it was something, it was an idea that I wanted to really champion and really go with. Every third episode would be one of these, what I called real life case studies on financial coaching. But it didn't take off because I couldn't get anybody to commit. So it slowed me down. I had late releases right off the start. People didn't know what the heck they were doing. It was just it was, uh, nowadays if I did it, it would I think it would totally work. But it didn't back then. So I just I feel like that was a big failure at the beginning of of it was called the Money Plan SOS podcast. So what happened after that? It, you, did you continue to do it? Did you stop it? Did you? That's when the editing situation came aboard. Or take us through how it, it continued. How you didn't throw in the towel and say, I'm going up to McDonald's because I need to make some kind of living. Well, at that time, 2010 through 2015, I was still working the day job. So I still had that. Uh, a lot of the recordings, incidentally, that I was doing was in my hotel room because I was traveling a lot. I was on the road. So I would record the show. And, and really it was at this time, remember, I, I had started this financial coaching business and I wanted to, the, the podcast to become like an outreach program, part of my marketing and so that's what kept me going through the hard times is I knew that it took time for people to get to know, like, and trust you. I wanted to have that, that thing on my website, kind of like an author says, hey, I wrote this book. It gives you credibility. I could also say I've got this, this podcast. So anybody who's maybe interested in learning some more, it, w it was a very low barrier to entry on them getting to know who I was and maybe uh, calling me up for financial coaching. Uh, so I always had that in the back of their mind, that the reason for the podcast was to promote my financial wellness coaching services, and that's just where it, it, that's where it always was. Got it. So um, you mentioned the low barrier to entry. It's so true about podcasting. So how do you recommend to people that, that they find their niche? Because you, you, know, you, you, can, you, you, know, you can be successful at podcasting, and you don't have to buy a big radio tower. Oh gosh, it's so easy to get. A hundred bucks, you can get a microphone, a boom arm, and some hosting, and and you're pretty much. I mean, you got to have a computer, of course, but I think everybody's pretty much got that. You don't even have to have a website for crying out loud to do a podcast. So yeah, the barrier to entry is really low. So yeah, I think what you said there was you know niching down 
is really important these days, especially these days. Because when I started in 2010, I don't know how many podcasts there were, but in the financial space, there weren't that many. There was a handful. Uh, you know, like when I went to my first FinCon in 2012, I maybe met five or six podcasters mm-hmm. out of 500 people. It was a really, really small amount. And not saying that everybody who has a podcast in the financial space showed up at FinCon, but it just seemed like there should have been more. It has grown quite a bit since then, and now everybody and their mother's doing a podcast. So it is really important to either A, have talent or personality, because that's going to you know, make you stand out just because you have this ingrained, uh, you know, people are attracted to you for whatever it is that you do, the way you talk, something like that, some kind of personality. Uh, or you've got to have the content. You've got to have the material, the information that people are, are wanting to go to. Um, I think interview podcasts, it's really hard to do that because everybody else is that expert and you're kind of, you know, taking bits and pieces from other people. But it does work because you're also accumulating all this knowledge into your show. So there's a, there's a give and take when it comes to being an interview uh, podcast. But finding that that specialty, that niche, that thing that you're uniquely qualified to be an expert on, and you, you could build that over time. You may not even know what that is at the beginning. Uh, that's that's a big deal. So you can kind of start broad because you don't know exactly where you're going to go. But as soon as something latches on, something that you're interested in, and and you think you can run with it, go for it because the the, the riches are in the niches. <laughs> and it's not about downloads, it's about listeners. And if you don't identify yourself as being uniquely different from all the rest, you're just going to fall to the to the wayside because there's just way too much competition out there now. How do you uh, advise people not to get discouraged? Because we hear the numbers that after seven, most people quit and there are 500,000 uh, podcasts out there, but we don't really know how many are actually still active and doing them weekly and all that. So, so how do you really keep people from being discouraged and saying, ah, oh, this isn't going to work? I don't. I tell them they're going to get discouraged. There's just no way about it. It's going to be, you know, hard times. There's going to be disappointments. It's going to happen. And I think knowing that, kind of like the worst case scenario, you know, if you play that out in your mind on anything, if you think, what's the worst case scenario that can happen? Well, I could die. Okay. Well, that's probably not going to happen. So what's the second worst case scenario? And just keep going from there. And by the time you get to your real problem, you're like, this is a piece of cake. I can make it through this. So I think that's really a big key is, is knowing that it's going to be frustrating. You know this ahead of time. You're going to get through it and that the goal isn't going to be next week's episode. The goal is going to be next year's episode. You know, what is it going to look like a year down the road? And if you're looking at with that long-term mindset, you're going to make it through any kind of discouragement that you might have today. In your opinion, Steve, how important is it to be there at a consistent time if it's weekly and you say you're going to do a weekly, you should have it posted? Uh, the same day, the same time. Is that important? Uh, it sounds like it is. I think it is. Yeah, I totally, I have people who disagree with me and I think there's scenarios where it doesn't matter. There's certain shows where it doesn't matter. If you think about, uh, you know, like TV fan show podcasts, especially ones that are off season, um, you know, it's really important to get it out right away. But if you're a day or two late and you've got this community that likes you, they're going to come back. And since the, you know, since podcast listening is time shifted anyway, it's not as important but to be consistent is because – and I'm preaching about being consistent, yet with my podcast, with Money Plan SOS, I wasn't. It was too hard to try and stay on a, a two, every Tuesday or every Wednesday schedule. I changed it too because I was trying to find the right date for me to be able to get episodes out on a consistent basis. But then something would happen and I just – it would come – you know, be Thursday or Friday and all of a sudden it's Sunday and I'm like, 
forget it. I'll just put it out when I can get it done. So it's important to be consistent, I think, because people expect your show to be there. If you've done it at a certain time every week, if you if you build that consistency, it kind of falls into people's routines. Um, you know, with the way that the smartphone is right there with us at all times now, you know, once that episode's released, it's on my phone. If it's something that I really want to listen to, I'll move it up in my queue. Whereas if it's like, oh, this is cool, so there's another one, but I wanted to listen to this other show that was out earlier first, then I'll just let it play in its regular succession. But being consistent also, I think, builds on that trust factor with your listeners because then they, they rely on you to be there when they expect you to be there. Just like uh, my wife has th- uh, three sisters. Two of them are prompt. They're reliable. One of them, <laughs> you can count on them to be two to three hours late every single time. And that just breaks the trust that we have with that one sister. And it's really sad because, you know, she's a great person, but you can't rely on her. So. Same with the podcast, I think. So it's it's not as important as that relationship with her sister, but I think it's really important just to be consistent as much as you possibly can. If you know you're going to be late or you're going to be taking a break for holidays and stuff like that, tell your audience. Let them know. I think it's just important to be that communicative with your listener. Uh, you led me right into a, a, another question that I heard. Uh, I think it was Rob and Todd talking about um, the holidays uh, should you take off for the holidays or should you work through the holidays and make sure your podcast is there because that's when other people, your listeners, have more time? Well, one of the three rules of podcasting is it depends. <laughs> everything, everything, the answer to everything is it, it depends. Should you take a break? It's up to you. It's up to your listeners. It's up to your format. It's up to your uh, niche. It's up to, there's all kinds of reasons why you could take a break and it wouldn't ruin that consistency that we were just talking about. Uh, so it really, it just depends gotcha. and it's a case by case basis. And you could be in the same niche as somebody else and taking a break for you might not work where taking a break for them might. So right. it really depends. So uh, one of the things that frustrates me is when I, uh, when I'm getting ready to listen to a podcast and there's a pre-roll commercial, it's the first thing you hear. One of the reasons I go to the podcast is because I get irritated with radio or TV. They play so many commercials what is your thought on getting into your content right as soon as you flip that microphone on and make sure people are, 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 are ready to take in the content, not a commercial or not you babbling on about something that has nothing to do with the show? I think everybody can identify with a TV show where you know they, they come out and they have that little teaser at the beginning. Then they go into the show's introduction with the music and you know the Big Bang Theory and the – <laughs> that introduction that they've got, and then it goes to commercial break. Well, now you're like, oh, now I got to wait for this. You didn't show up to watch commercials. You showed up for the content. You showed up for the show. You didn't come to hear about Tide detergent. And with podcasting, you didn't certainly show up to listen to Stamps.com or Casper mattresses. And what really irks me is when you have a sponsor that doesn't even match the niche of the audience. It just doesn't make sense. It kills me that people look that way towards monetizing their shows. I think it's really important to get in the content right away. So if you're going to do sponsors, you know, pre-roll is good. I, I want to point to a really good example of somebody who's doing sponsorships right. Now, it's really hard to uh, to replicate what they're doing because it works for their show. But it's Stacking Benjamins, and they're out three days a week. Hmm. This guy, his job, this is different than most people. This podcaster, it is actually his job. His job is Stacking Benjamins, the podcast, and the other ancillary things that they do. But it's based on the sponsorship model, CPM and, and stuff like that. 
And what they do is they'll do a pre-roll for up to two sponsors right at the beginning. So they'll have the introduction to the show and everything, but then they get into these, you know, two 15-second-ish pre-rolls mentioning, you know, thanking the sponsors of the show. Uh, and then they get into the content. So within three minutes, maybe four, if they're going long, you're into the content. And now that includes a minute and a half of the introduction to the show, which is actually entertainment in itself. If you listen to Stacking Benjamin's show, you'll know what I'm talking about. But then you've got at the middle of the show, you've got the full mid-roll sponsor ads. Now, the way that Joe does the sponsor ads usually has got a little bit of humor in it. Now, this isn't like uh, Pod Save America humor. Uh, it's not that that humorous, but it, there is a, an element of humor in it, uh, and it's not by degrading the sponsor in any way. So he does it right that way. Um, but I got another show that I produced that has two sponsors, actually four sponsors per episode. It's crazy. And there's two sponsor breaks, and they are disruptive. And it would never work to have that early on into the show. It has to be towards the middle and within the first two-thirds of the hour to hour-and-a-half-long show. Otherwise, it just, you know, we, we trained ourselves to be able to hit that skip button with the DVRs, mm -hmm. with our, our phones. So if you want sponsors, you want your sponsorship ads to be effective. Otherwise, your sponsors are going to go away. So if you're going to throw them right at the beginning every single time, make it so that it's interesting, that it's short. You don't make people skip. Otherwise, you know, try to find a way to make it a mid-roll or some other place within the episode. So um, you... It's, it sounds like if you weren't doing a podcast, you wouldn't have um, created the business that you're in now. C correct me if I'm wrong, but you yeah. you took what you started to do with the podcast and you created something big out of it. I explain how if it wasn't for the podcast, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be a podcast editor, I'm thinking. So that it, it's worth it to do what Dave Jackson says, and that's just launch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say I had a little bit of experience using Audacity because, I mean, you, you get to see my records. The people who are listening don't. But I've got this wall of vinyl records behind me. I used to, do, I used to be a DJ. I still have the turntables here. So I've always been into you know, records and vinyl. But then when you were able to start burning your own CDs, which made the, the load to go do a wedding or a gig a lot lighter by having, you know, you could have 100 songs on a disc. This is before iPods. I would want to convert vinyl onto CD. Well, you had to have a computer to do that. So I knew how to use Audacity because it would be able to capture the audio and then I would use that to burn onto a disc. I always had the basic audio then uh, skills there and that's why when I started my podcast I was just able to start you know, creating it with Audacity. It was just that easy. It's a little archaic com uh, compared to other DAWs but it's still solid. Uh, with that knowledge then I was able to be able to do a little bit different things and create my own introduction music and uh, for my 100th episode, I took a bunch of different people saying my tagline and spliced it all together and made it this really cool thing. It took a lot of work. It took about an hour and a half to put this this you know 60-second to 90-second bit together, but it was worth it, I think. So growing those skills and just having that experience then placed me into this spot where it wasn't just – you know, putting the tails on an interview, you know, the introduction at the beginning and the outro at the end, or maybe inserting a, a mid-roll in the, in the middle. Now I was doing things like cutting out the ums and ahs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now there's, you know, EQ and compression and all this other fun stuff that we get to talk about as editors. Having that knowledge uh, and that ability to do it uh, is one thing. Having the time to do it is another. So 
this business would not have existed if the timing wasn't right. As I was telling my story earlier, I had a day job up until 2015. I had my podcast from 2010 until, incidentally, 2015. Uh, there's more of a story there. We don't need to go into it. I didn't quit that job for the editing, by the way. Uh, this position, this this I call it position, this new career of podcast editing didn't start until December 2015. And it was just for this one show, completely undercharging them because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as I saw that I had the extra time in my day because I left the day job, the financial coaching thing wasn't going as far as I wanted it to. So I wasn't spending as much time working as I, I could have been. I was able to, to do this little side hustle. And then as the side hustle grew, that's where I was able to say, all the stuff I've spent a decade on building, this Money Plan SOS financial coaching, it's got to go away because I've got all these other people who want help editing their shows. And so I was able to walk away from one passion career that mm -hmm. I was building, the financial coaching business, to now this other passion career, which is financial editing or financial editing for podcast editing. So, Steve, tell us how you do it. You said Audacity, and I think most of us that are beginners use Audacity because it's free. It, it seems like it's it's easy to use, but it, you know, once you talk to podcasters that have been around longer, they seem to step up to other products that maybe aren't free that that uh, offer uh, uh, more things uh, that you can use to make make it sound smoother. I'm, I'm I'm even talking out of school here. I don't even know what I'm saying. All I know is Audacity, <laughs> really. So, how do you do it? Well, there's a lot of great features in Audacity, and then you can get plugins for Audacity. A lot of them are free, but then if you want to get some really good ones, there's some awesome premium plugins. Some that do work with Audacity, so you're in Audacity and you can pull it up, and it's just it's there for you. Uh, but a lot, a lot of them that don't either. There are better DAWs. Did you, you know, DAWs are, are what they call is it's an acronym. Excuse me, it's an acronym for Digital Audio Workstation. I learned it from the Podcast Editors Club that I started a couple of years ago. I was like, what's a DAW? Uh, there's other DAWs that are better than Audacity. I will admit that. But it's my main workhorse program because I know it so well. Uh, I, I'm efficient with it. That's the key. Is that you got to be efficient if you're going to make a career out of podcast editing because if you're going to spend four hours editing a one-hour interview, you're not going to make it in this world, not as a career unless you're charging an unseen – you know, just an insane amount of money for, for per episode. And it's going to take a, a very um, high-profile client, I guess you'd say, uh, for that. But I knew Audacity, so I was able to, to take the you know the program that I already knew, tweak it the way I wanted to, you know, change the keyboard shortcuts the way I wanted to, make it efficient so that I could become, uh, you know, could make more money by editing these shows faster and get deep into it. Um, I've lost your question. I can't remember where no, I was going. No problem at all. You answered it with audacity. So yeah. um, how many clients are you able to uh, really fit into your day? Well, I will say I can get at least three episodes done in a day. Okay. Now, that doesn't translate to clients because about 50% of my clients are once a week, but then I've got about a fourth of them are more than once a week, like Stacking Benjamins and Financial Grown Up. They're both three days a week. Then there's some shows that are every other week. But you could look at my roster. I could say I've got 25 shows. Now, that's not all me, though. Uh, I've been able to train some people to edit the way I do and outsource some work to them, which is really cool because now I'm helping them to sure. create a side hustle, make some money editing podcasts, which is something that they're really interested in, too. I love it.
So the the way it works is do they basically send you their entire show? They don't want anything to do with it once they turn the microphone (laughs) off. Do they do it via transfer big files or you guys have a Dropbox and then you pull it down and then you you do then after your editing. Take us through the process. Do you load the whole thing up to their to their site, whether they're using Blueberry or Spreaker, whoever they're using? How 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 is it from uh, from A to Z? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk in generalizations. Uh, like it's what everybody does, but everybody's got. Of course, you know the answer is it depends. Everybody does this differently, but in general, most clients, not just for me, but the other podcast producers that I know, they're going to share a Dropbox folder, or Google Drive, or something like that. The majority mm-hmm. of my clients are Dropbox or Google Drive, and I actually have it synced to my computer. I've got enough hardware, you know, storage here where I'll have it just sync automatically. I don't have to go to Dropbox.com and download stuff. It's just going to be there because I do this so much. I need it to be there when I want it there. So they will share their files inside of a shared folder. Inside that folder is going to be an episode folder. So it's got whatever materials are required to produce that episode. So it'll be the the, the interview. Maybe they do an intro and an outro. Uh, maybe it's a new sponsor ad read. Maybe it's a show artwork, uh, you know, or episode artwork, I should say. Maybe it's the show notes uh, that they want used for the title and description. All that stuff's in that folder. Uh, I've already communicated with them. I already know what they need. I already know what the show is going to sound like when it's done. So I just then go and clean everything up, you know, do some EQing, clean the, the noise removal, edit out the ums and ahs, make the, the conversations flow well, put the whole show together with the music and the bumpers and the transitions and the ads and all that, whatever it is that they do. Then I'll convert it down to MP3. Mm-hmm. And from that point, it can be different per client. Most of my clients, they actually share their login credentials to their Libsyn account with me. They'll do it through LastPass, something like that. So I'll be able to log into their Libsyn account, upload, schedule, and either send them the information they need to be able to put a a media player on their website, or if they've given me the credentials to their website as an author or an admin, I'll actually go in there and add it for them. So that way it's really, they do just hit record, upload to Dropbox, Google Drive, whatever. Maybe send me a note saying, hey, all those files are there. Uh, and if they're not all there, they say, oh, and I owe you an intro, outro, I'll get that to you tomorrow, whatever. And that way I can get started on the project, have it done for them by their scheduled date. Wow. So obviously you don't have to answer this, but I'm way curious to know how, how much it costs to, to get a show produced. Ah, well, that's a good question because I actually did a uh, a survey in the Podcast Editors Club on Facebook a little while ago because I want to know, not just for myself, but there was other people too who were asking the same question. What does it cost to get a podcast episode produced? So I just put it out there, basic editing for 60 minutes. Now, when I say basic editing, it's, it is taking out um and ahs and stuff like that. Uh, so you've got the basic editing, uh, noise removal for 60 minutes, converting to MP3. What would that cost you? Uh, I got about 33 respondents from there. The average was about $100 per episode. So you can say about $60 was a hundred dollars 60 minutes was about a hundred dollars uh to produce an episode mm-hmm. there were two people who said that they were charging under 50 there were two people who said they were charging over 150 so you've got that it's it seems to be that that i don't want to say the industry standard is a hundred bucks because my prices are, are much more than that because this isn't part-time this is a full career i'm a team member for a lot of my clients so i can charge more uh, but that seems to be what the typical I, I'll, say, I'll say the average and that's just this impromptu survey inside of a Facebook group. So you can't take that and run with it, but it's a good indicator, I think. Got it. Got it. So, Steve, what is the moral of your story? 
Uh, stick with podcasting. You never know what you never know where it's going to take you. <laughs> that could be it in a, in a nutshell, right? It's up to you, man. If you think that's what it is, I mean, it's it sounds like it. It, uh, it certainly turned into uh, something that you love to do and something that uh, is uh, is working out well for you. Yeah, I guess we could say that's the case, but it could be the case for anything. You never know what where life is going to take you, so be open to those opportunities. Be willing to make some, you know, take some chances and do something weird and odd. And, you know, hey, if you're going to totally undercharge yourself and get started on something, who knows if it's going to take you somewhere. It did for me. But uh, the ben- without going too long into the story, my wife and I, we were getting our financial act together, you know, been 15 years ago we started. We paid off the house December 2015, hmm. which incidentally was when this whole thing started. I don't know if that's coincidence or not, but we we are completely debt-free. That financial coaching business that I had worked on for 10 years wasn't going anywhere, but we were okay financially, which gave me the ability to do this pivot in my career, take a chance on something. So I guess if there was a lesson, it would be get your financial act together, get rid of your debt, start saving some money for emergencies, get yourself some margin in your life so that you can start taking chances with your career and if you want to start doing something like this for podcasting, or there's a lot of other ways to make money in podcasting. It's not the actual podcast itself. It could be serving people who are, you know, who want to become successful with their show for whatever reason. You know, get get your financial act together, get that margin in your life so that you, you can then take a pivot and maybe become uh, an editor or some kind of virtual assistant or, you know, help with websites or marketing their show or whatever. Well, it certainly is a great podcasting success story, Steve, and we appreciate you uh, coming on with us and telling us the story. How can people find you, uh, contact you, maybe book uh, 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 an interview with you about editing their show? I know you have the Facebook page also, so lay it all out there. Yeah. My home base is stevestewart.me. That's where you'll find me is at stevestewart.me, and that's Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. From there, off the front page, you'll be able to schedule a call with me if you're looking for help. Uh, I do have this Facebook group, the Podcast Editors Club. There's over 3,200 members there. I like to specifically work with people in the FinCon community. So if I'm not a good fit for you, if you're looking to launch or, or get somebody to edit your show, I will post your job for you in the Facebook group so that you can then filter through the submissions and we'll be able to find you an editor if, if I'm not the right person for you or if, I, if you're not a good for, uh, fit for me. So go to stewart.me. And uh, I'll be able to help you either find an editor or maybe become your editor. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ed. Our thanks again to Steve Stewart for coming on the show today. Remember to check out our website at podcastbusinessjournal.com and subscribe to our free daily headlines. And we'd love to have you follow us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. Your feedback about any of our content is always welcome. Send along an email to Ed Ryan, the editor at gmail.com.